And he told them a parable. To the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart, he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither, neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. I will not God give justice to his elect who cried him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let me introduce, in case you've been away and you haven't yet met Emmy. Emmy, would you join me? Emmy's uh, been a dear friend since, uh, I think we traced it back to 2009. And uh, she's going to be preaching to us. So uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for all that you've been doing in our midst and all that you're doing in our hearts. And now would you put power onto Emmy's message that we might draw closer to you in Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, it's wonderful to be back here for a second Sunday. I can't believe how quickly the week's gone. I'm going to be speaking from uh, our gospel reading. I work in prisons and I spent a little bit of time at Theological College uh, back in 2011. And uh, having not been particularly an academic myself, growing up, um, school and academia was not my patch, as it were. And at the end of my year at Theological College, I was approached by one of the uh, staff who worked there at the time, Mike Lloyd, who is now the principal of uh, Wycliffe Theological College in Oxford. And he had a very nice conversation with me. He said, Emmy, how have you got on with your theology course? And I said to him, do you know, Mike, I would rather be in prison than study theology. <laughs> and he looked at me somewhat shocked and actually then his reply was, I thought, very fair. He said, Emmy, not everybody can go into a prison and pray for murderers and pedophiles and drug barons and all these people. And not many people can write books on theology like I do. And I thought, wow, that is so kind of him to acknowledge that we all have different giftings. And if we look around this room and if we ask all of you today, you all have different jobs, different backgrounds, different responsibilities, different personalities. But the one thing we can all do is to pray and to grow in our faith. And in this parable, the widow, a poor, powerless person, persists in nagging the judge, who is a corrupt and powerful person, because she wants justice. The parable assumes the teaching that, that holding a position of power and leadership obliges you to work justly, especially on behalf of the poor and the weak. 
But Jesus focuses the parable on a different point, that we should always pray and never give up. The point is not that God is an unjust judge, but that he responds to those who cry out to him day and night. And if persistence pays off with a corrupt human of limited power, how much more will it pay off with a just God of infinite power? And the purpose, I think, of this parable is to encourage us as Christians to persevere in our faith against all odds. And it is one of the few parables which Jesus interprets for us, lest we miss the main point. So how do we persevere in our faith as we face daily disappointments, we watch the news with yet more tragedies and disasters, we get dejected maybe as we witness others whose circumstances seem and appear to be so hopeless. Well, we cannot right every wrong in the world in our own lifetime. Only God can bring about justice in a corrupt world. But as Christians, we must never give up hope and never stop working for the greater good. And that is why we pray and we don't give up. And God can bring about a miraculous uh, justice in our corrupt world, just as God can bring miraculous healing in a sick world. So if you go back to November 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and this happened during a peaceful revolution, and it was a pivotal event in world history, which marked the fall of the Iron Curtain. And it was one of the series of events that started the fall of communism in Eastern and Central Europe. Then we could remember the fall of the apartheid regime in South Africa in 1990, when President de Klerk called for reforms that would end the division of the country, and then the miracle of Nelson Mandela being released from his long prison sentence. I think sometimes when we're waiting for things in prayer, we're not very good in the waiting. We're impatient. You know, these days we have microwaves. We put our cold food in or our uncooked food in and the microwave buzzes it and in seconds it's all ready for us. But it's not the same sometimes in the kingdom. Persistence and perseverance doesn't necessarily come to us naturally. But however, Often it's in the active waiting process that we can very rapidly grow in our faith as we learn with frequent prayer to keep trusting the Lord in every circumstance. Let me read an extract about what God has done through concerted, united and sustained prayer. This is both challenging and I think really encouraging. Dr. Arthur Pearson, an American Presbyterian pastor, once said this, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. In September 1857, a man of prayer called Jeremiah Lampfear started a businessman's prayer meeting in the upper room of the Dutch Reformed Church 
in Manhattan. In response to the advertisement, only six people out of a population of a million showed up. But the following week, there were 14, and then 23, when it was decided to meet every day for prayer. By late winter, they were filling the Dutch Reformed Church, then the Methodist Church, then Trinity Episcopal Church on Wall Street. In February and March of 1858, every church and public hall in downtown New York was filled. Horace Greeley, the famous editor, sent a reporter with horse and buggy racing around the prayer meetings to see how many men were praying. In one hour, he could only get to 12 meetings, but he counted 6,100 men attending. Then a landslide of prayer began, which overflowed to the churches in the evenings. People began to be converted, 10,000 a week in New York City alone. And the movement spread throughout New England, the church bells bringing people to prayer at 8 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m. The revival raced up the Hudson and down the Mohawk rivers, where the Baptists, for example, had so many people to baptize that they went down to the river, cut a big hole in the ice, and baptized them in the cold water. And when Baptists do that, you know they are really on fire. <laughs> and when the revival reached Chicago, a young shoe salesman went to the superintendent of the Plymouth Congregational Church and asked if he might teach Sunday school. The superintendent said, I'm sorry, young fellow, I have 16 teachers too many, but I will put you on the waiting list. And the name of that young man was D.L. Moody. And that was the beginning of an evangelistic ministry that lasted 40 years. And one of his most famous quotes was this, faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. And Moody gave up his lucrative boot and shoe business to devote his life to revivalism, working first in the Civil War with Union troops through the YMCA in the United States Christian Commission. And in Chicago, he built one of the major evangelical centers in the nation, which is still active. And he worked with a singer called Ira Sankey, and he toured the country and the British Isles, drawing large crowds with a dynamic speaking style. So the small prayer meeting of Jeremy Lamphere was the first revival beginning in America with a worldwide impact. And the revival spread to Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, Europe, South Africa, India, Australia, and the Pacific Islands. Kind of awesome, don't you think? God using one man and lots of prayer. So returning to this parable, the last verse, verse 8, refers actually to the second coming of Christ when Jesus asked, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He might have added, will the Son of Man find that his disciples have kept praying or have lost heart and given up? 
that this parable is intended to be an encouragement for us to pray continually until Jesus comes back. And the implication seems to be that prayer and faith stand and fall together. If we lose heart and drift away from prayer, then the Son of Man will not find faith in us when he comes. Faith is the furnace fueling a God-centered life of consistent prayer. So for us today, how can we engage in this persistent prayer? Well, of course, we can talk to, to God at any time, not just Sundays or in our quiet times in the morning, but literally any time throughout the day. And I love to pray any time and anywhere, whether I'm on my bicycle in London, whether I'm waiting for someone to answer the, my, the phone, when I'm uh, walking, when I'm showering, wherever. And I sometimes find if I'm certainly when I'm walking through the city, I look at certain objects and I think, okay, I'm gonna pray for that. So I might go past another church and I'll pray for the pastor and the leadership in that church. Or I might, be, um, I might see a mum with their child and I'll start praying for, for parents, to be good parents, godly parents. I might um, uh, go past a town hall, so I'll pray, pray for the governance of uh, the local uh, council. I might see a diplomat driving past in a car and I'll pray for them and pray for all people in ambassadorial roles. I might pass, which I do in London, people of many, many nationalities. I'll pray for their countries as I pass them. I might pass a gang and I'll pray for their salvation. And if I'm passing a prison, and I'm pretty good now at knowing where all the prisons are in the UK, I'll certainly be praying for a revival in that prison. I might pass a disabled sign and I'll pray for the sick or the disabled or those with special needs. I might pass a Union Jack and I'll pray for our new king. And when I snuggle under my duvet at night, I'll pray for the homeless. I'll pray for those who have nowhere to snuggle. A few years ago, I was doing some prison work in Fiji, and I met a 93-year-old lady there. And she, for years and years and years, has had a map of the world, and every single day, she prays for a different country that every single person in that country, every family, every home, that the Lord will come and visit them and that people will come to know Jesus. And she was so on fire. In fact, we sat and we just giggled and giggled and giggled for a very long time together. She was so in love with Jesus. And I love using the word of God in prayer. Um, the word has power. All the uh, armor of God that we wear is to defend us from the evil one, but the one offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And um, I remember a few years ago going to visit a sick child in hospital. The parents had been told this child will not survive. And uh, on my way to the hospital, all I could think of was Psalm 118, verse 17. Did you know that's the middle verse in the entire Bible? And this is what the verse says. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. And when I arrived at the hospital, went to visit this, this 
two-year-old. I prayed that over him. I said, you will not die but live. You will declare what the Lord has done. And that man is now a young adult, adult and is fully alive. Our minds get preoccupied, we know that, with worry, and sometimes we find it difficult to concentrate on prayer. And uh, I read a story of a professor who entered a classroom and asked his students to prepare for a surprise test. And the professor handed out the question paper with the text facing down, as usual. And once he handed it out, he asked his student to turn the page over and to begin. And to everyone's surprise, there were no questions, just a black dot in the center of the page. And the professor, seeing the expression on everyone's face, told them the following, I want you to write what you see there. And the students were a bit confused. They got started on this inexplicable task. And at the end of the class, the professor took all the answer papers and started reading each one um, in front of the students. All of them, with no exceptions, were trying to describe the black dot and trying to explain its position in the middle of the sheet, etc. And after he'd read all of the responses, the classroom just went silent and the professor began to explain. He said this, I'm not going to grade you on this. I just wanted to give you something to think about. No one wrote about the white part of the paper. Everyone focused on the black dot. And I guess that can be the same in our lives. We have a white paper to observe and, and enjoy, but we always focus on the dark spots. Our life is a gift given to us by God, and there are always reasons to celebrate. However, we insist on focusing only on the dark spots. For instance, the health issues that bother us maybe the lack of finance, complicated relationships with a family member, whatever it might be. But the dark spots are very small compared to everything we have in our lives given to us by Jesus. And that's how we should focus. In Philippians 4 verse 6, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So let's persevere in prayer. Let's grow in faith. And let our love for Jesus transform us on a day-to-day -day basis. Remember, a group of 12 disciples fixed their eyes on a resurrected Savior and they changed the world. And as Peter says in the message version in 1 Peter 4, 7, he says this, everything in the world is about to be wrapped up, so take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depends on it. Love makes up for practically anything. So Jesus would say to us this morning, pray, pray, pray. Amen.